Tom Panos, John McGrath, Troy Malcolm, welcome to episode 140, what Troy? 141. 141. 141. Nine more podcasts to lunch. We won't, we won't do it before Christmas, will we? No. We, we need to do out. a couple of extras. We should start next year on 150. Do you think? Yeah, we can do that. So it means we're going to get eight done in the next uh, few weeks. Yeah. We can do it. Let's throw in a couple of bonus for our very loyal listeners. 100%. This is a special podcast because all our younger, under three year guys and girls always say, can you tell us how do we beat an agent that is smashing it? How do we beat an agent that is the total dominant attraction agent in the marketplace? How do we beat an agent that is up against us and we're new? What do you think? Yeah, it's a great question. In fact, I was doing a little coaching session this morning with some of our team and we, we we had exactly this scenario, and they're talking about that. And last week, when I was in, or a couple of weeks ago, when I was in Caloundra, similar scenario. So this is commonplace. So here's what the conversation was last week. I said to our team in Caloundra, or the particular agent that was that raised this issue, and I said, Linda, so tell me, do you think you're the best person for the job? She said, Yeah, I do. I said, Well, that's important because the first thing you have to do is sell yourself, because if you think these dominant agents are better than you, you kind of you're probably up against. You know, up against a tough, tough sell. So the first thing, and because I think the reality is that a lot of agents, Tom, you and I have seen them, Troy, you see them all around the, the traps, that are dominant are also complacent. They're also old school. They can ver- verge on being arrogant, but they have runs on the board and they have momentum, and that's all good stuff too. So I wish them, I wish them great success. But what I'm saying is they're not impenetrable. So if you go in, so I said, Linda, just tell me a couple of things. So these two people that she was telling me about in the area, they think they had like 60-odd percent market share between them. Two competitors, both male, been in the business quite a long time, very dominant, and I'm sure very good at what they did. So you know, the first thing, as I said, is you, know, you have to actually believe in your own value you add, and, and if you do that, then it kind of gets easier from there on in. Um, second thing is I said, um, so... Tell me about what is the advantage of listing with you. It's not you've been there 25 years because you haven't. Yeah. It's not you've got 25, 30% market share because you haven't. But there could be some other advantages. So we thought about it and we kind of discussed it. And, and one of them was I said, well, you're female. Who makes all the decisions when people are buying and selling generally? Puts in, in, in often in a, in a uh, not a same-sex couple, but in a, in a sort of um, husband and wife scenario or de facto. And she said, well, the woman. I said, great. And who do they generally connect better with, males or females? Well, females. I said, okay, there's, there's kind of like an angle for you. Um, so that's kind of one of the things there. And I said, so what do you say when you walk in? She said, well, I'm not sure. I'm, she was experienced, but from another market. She said, oh, I'm not kind of exactly sure. You know, I kind of do my thing and go through my spiel. And I said, you know, why don't you turn around to your advantage? And I said, so, you know, Tom, one of the things is I haven't been in the market here for 25 years and I don't have 50% market share, but what happens is I bring fresh thinking and new ideas and a new approach that no one else has this to offer. So all of a sudden you differentiate yourself and by you saying you use fresh thinking and innovation, it kind of, without saying it directly, means other people are generally not. They're taking the same old trodden way. And we know real estate has moved significantly, so I actually start from the, the approach that anyone that's been in real estate longer than three years is Troy at a decided disadvantage. Because yep. they learnt, like I did, 30 years ago. So unless they are absolute um, self-development 
um, uh, people that are obsessed with self-development, they probably are still using the same tools and the same pitch they used a decade or two or three ago. So I say, Linda, what a great thing that you bring fresh thinking and you bring a wonderful female energy competing against two males. And, and you know, like, if you're a male listening to this, well, that's not one of the things that you can use as an advantage, but, you know, if you're a female up against males, that might be an area. Yeah. If you're new to the industry, well, you can use that, but you can't use it if you've been there 20 years. You can't talk about, I'm new to this market and I bring fresh ideas and, and innovation. So I, I think the first thing is, Tom, you must get over the fact that a lot of competitors that, that look incredibly good at what they do, the reality is they're probably not. Yeah. I, I've done many conjunctions with people, especially in the early days, that I thought were just you know, phenomenal, and, and, and they were in terms of success. And then the more I spent time with them, and I went to opens and I went to vendor meetings, I thought to myself, I'm actually better than these people. Yeah. But they have the reputation and the momentum and the market share. Yeah. So I think you've got to be careful that you're not intimidated. You must sell yourself on the fact that you are the best option. The other thing I said is, you know, what you don't have is 25 listings to, to focus on. You have two listings, so this client would be your third. Yeah. So say, Tom, you know, here's the benefit of being my third client. Um, I'm going to give you a lot more attention and I'm going to focus a lot harder because it really means a lot more to me to get your property sold than anyone else in this marketplace. A bit like Troy in the old days, um, Avis, we try harder. They were number two. Yep. And they were chasing Hertz and Hertz was the dominant player and... Everyone said, no, you're never going to catch Hertz. And Avis, a very clever advertising person somewhere, came up with a line. Let's say that we are number two. We'll be honest about it, but let's use that as an advantage. So why would you use the number one? Because we're number two. We try harder. So that kind of almost, again, implied that number one was maybe a bit arrogant, a bit complacent, a bit getting a bit lazy. So, you know, I said, you can use a similar thing to Avis, we're number two. Just say, look, I'm not the market leader. I'm not even number two in the market. In fact, I'm the newest player, and here are the advantages of being the newest player. And just be honest with it. Um, if you're small, you've got to get the advantage of being small. If you've got a big firm and you're market leader, you've got to talk. And if I was coaching the other two guys who were her competitors, I'd be saying that, you know, there is an advantage of having all the buyers and the buyers in the database. But you've just got to sell what you've got. And if what you've got is inexperience and uh, you know, a, a lack of market share, you actually have to turn that into an advantage. But you've also, um, and Matt Steinway summed her up beautifully when he said to me, um, Tom, that an experienced agent doesn't have the opportunity to do the things he or she did in their first three years. Um, they have less time, they've got more listings, um, they sometimes outsource some of their activities to personal assistance. So mm-hmm. you could very easily say to the vendor, by the way, I'm giving you an assurance that I'll be at the open myself all the time. Handle it I'll personally. Have, I'll be having every conversation with every buyer all the time because I'm choosing to work on less listings. Um, I've got less listings, as you said, the, the, the three listing scenario. So all you're saying, John, is Find your separation points mm-hmm. and create those as not weaknesses, make strengths. them strengths. Yeah, exactly right, Tom. And I think that, um, uh, you know, everyone has strengths and weaknesses. If you're a large agency, small agency, experienced, inexperienced, and you just need to sell your strengths. But can I, I will just touch on this because I think sometimes people underestimate replacing the word I with we. When they work mm. for a firm, that they're going out there, they forget that what they're bringing is 
um, 100 salespeople's uh, expertise, 100 salespeople's database, yep. 100 years of experience. And I think sometimes they forget the advantage of just simple, this is what we do, we work as a team. And that is also a very practical and good option, Tom, is you take your number one age in the office. Some people you know, think, oh, I want to keep the listing to myself. Well, I'd rather 50% of the listing I get than 100% of the one I miss. Um, and you know, we talked about you're up against a dominant agent. Often the dominant agent is also a principal. And I've heard agents you know, kind of laying blame and saying, well, I can't get a listing because she's a principal or he's a principal. Well, as you just alluded to then, Tom, principals have a lot of things on their plate. Yeah. Agents that are not principals have nothing except selling and buying. Yeah. So I would say, Tom, I think that you know, Jenny, the one, the person that you're comparing me with, she's very good and she's a great competitor uh, and she runs a very big organisation. And I guess that brings with it um, some levels of, of uh, complexity. The beauty with dealing with me is that I only have three listings. All I do is just look after my clients. I don't have to look after anything or anyone else in the office. I think that brings great advantage to this sales situation. And I think the fact that I am less experienced uh, in real estate, but well experienced in life, by the way, I think that that brings a whole new, fresh approach which people are really warming to. And the feedback I'm getting from my approach in the market is really exciting. So, you know, if you bring build, build some dialogue around that, yeah. Yeah. and people are saying, wow, okay, well, I am starting to get excited. And, you know, if it's real, and people are getting, I'm sure if you're doing a great job, you're getting great feedback, and you can say, you know, people are really warming to the way I'm doing business. I don't, yeah, I, I, look, I don't expect people to compare their chapter one to someone's chapter 10, but I do think that there's enough evidence and instances in real estate, and we see it by Gavin Rubenstein's, we see it with our Vivian Yaps, we see mm. it with Joel Hollings. Mm. We are constantly seeing people that have been in real estate for short periods of times and they are doing total domination in marketplaces against real estate agents that have worked there three decades. Yes. So this is happening all over Australia. A lot of the younger agents, I'm starting to, I, I get to work with a lot of them and I'm seeing a big trend out there. The ones that are most enthusiastic and the ones that are fastest to market or outpacing their competitors are seeing amazing results. So not only are they going in there, they've got less listings, they're more enthusiastic about what the opportunity is that's presented itself. Their then speed to market strategy is far greater than yeah. what a dominant agent is and they're using the assets that they have, whether that be growing up with the likes of Facebook technology, Instagram, um, using a database, working a database, doing everything mobile from a tablet uh, or an iPhone. They're using their assets to the best of their ability. So the ones that are outpacing, out-enthusing and also outwitting their competitors are getting a lot more traction in the markets that I'm working with at the moment. I've got to tell you guys, uh, I don't think we spoke last week about the Annandale case study, did we? No. No. I think it was really interesting. It's just We did a sale last week in, in Annandale. And uh, just the story takes three minutes. Do we have three minutes, Troy? Yep. Okay. We run so, the show here. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, a guy that I've known for quite some time, not a close friend, but certainly more than an acquaintance, rang me up and said, can you come, we're, we're thinking of selling, and um, can you come over? Well, actually, first he said to me, can you tell me who I should speak to in your Leichhardt office? And I said, well, tell me a bit more about what you think you're doing and what sort of price range you think your home's in. And he said, well, I think it's worth 2.2, maybe 2.3, but certainly in that early twos range. I said, okay, well, let me bring the best two people out and I'll come with you. He said, oh, you don't have to come. I said, no, no, I'd love to come. I'd love to see you home and meet your family and, and have a look and introduce you. So anyway, I brought Shad and Danielle, who are two fantastic agents from Leichhardt. 
brought them to the property. Um, Danielle and Shad rang me on the way to the meeting and they said, just letting you know, you said that they were looking for 2-2 two, two to 2-3. Two, the feedback from where looking at the comparables is probably 2-2-1. Two to two, one. Haven't seen the house yet. It might be worth 2-2, two, two, but it's probably the range. So, you know, we might just need to go through that with the client. So we're all on the same page. Anyway, long story short, we, we had what we felt was a really good meeting. Spent an hour and a half there with the family. Went through the comparable sales. Went through the need for to doing a few bit of styling and touch up. And anyway, long story short is we felt... We were going to be appointed, but they said they did want to think about just overnight. They hadn't fully decided if they are going to sell, but they said, look, you know, all you've said sounds really good, and John, we trust you, and, you know, we've known you for a long time, so um, what are you doing this time tomorrow? So it was like a Wednesday, and so Thursday, 4 o'clock, would you be available to come back the next day? And, and Shad and Danielle said, yeah, we'll do it. Anyway, Shad rings in the morning and, and uh, speaks to the client, and... Uh, He's having trouble nailing down the appointment, just confirming it. And he says, everything okay? And he said, well, you know, we just weren't sure if you guys were as enthusiastic about the property as we had hoped you might have been, which shocked me and us because the three of us thought we were. But clearly, there's only one person or one group that had to think we were, and that was the vendors. Yeah. It didn't really matter what we felt. So the vendors had been speaking to a couple of other agents, and even though they obviously trusted us, they felt the other agents were more enthusiastic Anyway, so had that discussion and, and Chad and Daniel went back and were more enthused. And we were very enthusiastic, but for whatever reason it didn't come across. They signed it up. So the first thing is, you know, you've got to be careful of complacency. Sometimes great relationships are things that are dangerous. Family and friends, because, you know, they, you can take it for granted and you think yeah. you've got it in the bag. Yeah. And we should have actually signed the business the night before was the yeah. reality. But we signed it the next day, which was good. Anyway, interesting little side note. So, you know, we said to them that we felt whilst we understood they'd like to see if they can get 2-2 two, two to 2-3, two, we felt 2-2-2-2 two to two, two was more representative of what it was worth and that's the price guide we recommended. And he said, OK, well, you know where we're hoping to get and we hear what you're saying about the comparables. So, you know, 2-2-2-2 two to two, two was, a, was an acceptable price guide to them. You know, went to auction and we, we, we recommended an auction. We were headed towards auction but we just sold it last week before auction. 2.65 million. So, interesting. So what are the moral of the stories? One is, don't underestimate the need, no matter how well you know someone and how strong you think you've been referred in, the need to be genuinely passionate because you do this three times a day. They do it once a decade. They want someone to love their house as much as they've loved it. And they see enthusiasm as an incredibly important differentiator. Number two is be experienced enough and wise enough to know that you don't know what it's worth. You know what comparables have been selling for because many a vendor, many an agent has said to me, oh, John, I really would like it, but the vendor wants 1.3 million and it's only worth 1.1. And I'm just thinking, well, you don't know that. You might be right, you might be wrong. Maybe the vendor was right. And this was an instance where it went for 25% above what, what the comparables were suggesting and it went for 15% above the higher level expectation of the vendor. So just, you know, there's so many life lessons out there for us, but as an agent, enthusiasm and, you know, sort of knowledge around recognising that you actually, until you get it on the market and get buyers through it, so, you know, you can say to people, hey, you know, two, three is would be a great price and it probably sets a record for the street, which I'd be delighted to do. And as we get started, we'll get feedback, which will help us understand where it sits in the market and who knows. Good, good uh, case study. That's a great case great study. Case. I think I think that's a great case study.
for young agents. Yep. I think it's a great case study for older, experienced agents because there's a saying that nothing breeds failure like success. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, you should never be complacent. And I'm not saying that uh, Shad or Danielle or you... They're the best agents in Sydney, know. the two of them. They're brilliant. <laughs> well, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. I, think I brought the A-team, right? Not, yeah. I mean, I'll exclude myself, but I went because I was very keen for the business and I brought the two best people in the country to handle that listing and we walked out and their view was when we walked out is we may not be right because we weren't enthusiastic enough and I just think wow so never important. underestimate the uh, hunger and energy of your competition yeah you have to so yeah. good. hopefully that little case study whether you're at the hungry end of the market or potentially you know you're the market leader and therefore at risk of being complacent hopefully that case study helps everyone get a couple of listings before Christmas okay um, realestate.com.au thank you so much and I'm pleased to tell you that uh, very soon we're also going to be able through realestate.com.au provide some of the intel that buyers and sellers want, complain about, keeps them up at night because there's a great person called Nerida at REA who's come on board and her job is she studies the insights and the behaviours and we're going to be able to give our listeners some of this information that's going to help them understand the problem behind the people they speak to every day. Is Nerida going to do the panel for us at uh, ARIC, do you think? It's I'm not quite sure who Haven't the spoken. representative is, but I'm sure that her content is going to be sort of included. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Okay, we'll look forward to that. So uh, we're one closer to 150 or 149. So Troy, it's up to you Bonus to get episodes. us to 149 before Christmas. We might be working Christmas Eve, Tommy. This is this, this, Watch this, this space. This is not work. <laughs> this is not work. This is massive. All right, guys space. and girls, we'll see you later. next week. Bye. Bye.